All right, welcome back to Bacon Wrapped Business. This is Brad, and today I have got an exciting guest on the show. Um, I first heard about Trevor Blake, who's going to be joining us here, um, through my friend Ryan Moran. I heard him talking about uh, Trevor's book, Three Simple Steps, back, uh, I don't know if it was a year ago, and uh, listened to his podcast. I really, uh, was really inspired what he was able to do, and he's able to come on the show today. So Trevor uh, is a physicist by background. He grew up extremely poor. He grew up bullied, but he he tapped into the, the workings of energy and consciousness and transformation, and in particularly the, the science behind it all, so that he could begin creating you know, his life, his businesses very intentionally. And over the past 10 years, he's done such a successful job at that. He's exited three separate companies for over $600 million. And one of the most remarkable facts is he's never hired a single employee. So let that sink in. Um, if you think that's not possible, it quite... It, truly is. And we're going to dive a little bit deeper into that as well as the secret behind Trevor's success. But Trevor, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to uh, dig in and learn more about you, what you've been able to do and what you're doing these days. Thank you, Brad. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So uh, with, with somebody with your background, it's really hard to think about like where to start, but I would <laughs> I would love to dive in into that story. So you said you're a physicist and then you became an entrepreneur and you've done things in a slightly different way than a lot of other entrepreneurs have taken it. Uh, give us a peek into that into that world. Like, how did you get started? Because that's a really fascinating trajectory. Yeah, I'm, and it wasn't planned that way. I have to be honest with you. So, it's, what you said in the introduction was correct. I did grow up poor, and I was bullied. I was I was living in a place where the English weren't welcome anymore, and uh, being English in that place was you know like having a, a sort of target on my back. Where was where was that? It was in North Wales back okay. in the 70s. They were burning holiday homes down and stuff like that, you know, because they, they were saying the English were ruining the Welsh economy because they could buy cheap homes, turn them into holiday rentals and stuff like that. We didn't because we were poor, but, but yeah. they, they heard the accent, that was enough. Um, and so I used to fight a lot. And then I was only five foot eight, so I didn't win many fights. And then, and so I ended up just hiding. So I, I hid in the, the town library and I just started reading and killing time until the idiots went home for, for dinner or something. And uh, that's where I started. I started reading physics books and psychology books and then biographies. And I, I just thirsted on biographies. So I can't really claim to have created anything in my life. I've really just stolen the, the good ideas that people had before me and, and just used it in my life. And yeah, I, I saw in these biographies that they had, they were, they started off in these atrocious circumstances. So first of all, that stopped me feeling sorry for myself. And secondly, I was totally inspired by how did they get out of that mess? And then I found these patterns of behavior and I just introduced them into my own life. And that's when I went from being, you know, a pretty average student to being a top student and, and becoming a physicist. And, um, uh, and then from there, you know, I had a fantastic career, just a regular uh, fast track career. And then when I turned 40, decided to start my own company. That was the first of, I'm on company number seven now. So it's kind of. So you didn't start really the entrepreneurial journey until about 40, huh? Yeah, I was, I was uh, 41 when I first started my first company. Yeah. It's just because, uh, you know, money was, I, I, growing up poor, I'd never traveled. So for me, my passion in life, my wife and I, we were together 40 years. And she unfortunately died a year ago, but, but uh, we had 40 years of luxury travel around the world because we both, she was also poor when she grew up. We just wanted to travel. You know, yeah. we, I, I didn't know what a holiday was like. I didn't know what flight was like. I didn't fly till I was uh, 22, I think. Um, oh, wow. And so, so, so we got caught up in that. And then, you know, some, some weird things happen when you turn 40. So I, I went to bed feeling immortal and woke up looking six months pregnant. So <laughs> I had to the forties have a way of sneaking up on us like that. I agree. That's when you change your mind. So I thought, well, I better start thinking about it. And, uh, and that's when I started my first company. What was that company? 
Qual Medical still exists. I sold it to one of the original investors in it. Um, okay. And we specialized in, in uh, developing drugs for rare diseases in children, but a unique okay. model. But, uh, you know, I, my my experience has been for me and also for other successful entrepreneurs that I've, I've, I've been lucky enough to know, nobody sets out to be a successful entrepreneur. We, we find something that annoys us or irritates us or we want to create or, or fix and off we go. And so this was something that really got under my skin. I, I was working for a company that had a solution to a very rare disease, but kept it on the shelf because they couldn't justify spending the money to educate physicians that this was available. And sounds crazy, but yeah. that's, you know, it was a well, public company. The unfortunate part of like where the incentive is and it's like if we can't you know this stuff takes money and if you can't really monetize it, it yeah i understood i understood their reason but I, I i still i still believe there's always a solution to everything so yeah. i had stand-up rows with my ceo which is not smart because you're never going to win <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> um and then in the end I, I convinced him to give me the rights or sell me the rights to the to the product and i started a new company with a new business model that you touched on by saying no employees because I didn't have the money to hire employees. But I found that uh, using a sort of model of alliances was very successful, highly profitable. And I just kept doing it, plug and play. Okay. I want to, I want to dive into that alliance model because I, and I'm really fascinated by this. Like I've, I've actually never had any employees. I've had a, I've had business partners, but that's as close as I've ever had where employees are there. I've had contractors, I've had, you know, other people like that, but if, but I also haven't grown as significant of a business, um, you know, as you have. But take me back through the. Obviously, you had experience in as a physician, so you had medical experience, and then the first business was medical related, so you obviously created something in your in your field of knowledge. But um, was that a was, was that hard to kind of really transition from a physician background to now a business? person or was it really easy it's the other way other way around really brad to be honest with you i i was uniquely unqualified to start a company <laughs> so and i've continued to be that way so i was actually in sales and marketing when i started my first company so um, but what i did was was uh, when i was on in a regular career i used to get frustrated by the amount of time i spent in a meeting room talking about keeping employees happy instead of talking about the customer or improving products or you know anything like that and so I got you. So I was kind of a not a very easy employee to have because I was always kind of fighting against that a little bit. Um, and so I was I was quite motivated when I started my first company not to do that, not to end up sitting in a meeting room all, all day long. But also while I was in my regular career, I was smart enough to to go and talk to the other functions because all I knew was sales and marketing. I didn't understand manufacturing or distribution or regulatory or things like that. So I made a nuisance of myself over a number of years, just taking pizza and, and, and sandwiches into someone's office and saying, can you spend half an hour with me? I'd love to know what you do here. And how we, because we never talk, we never communicate. And, and just by doing that, I realized when I started my first company, I had a higher degree of confidence than I would have had if I'd just come from one function. So if I'd just been in the medical side or if I'd just been on the regulatory side, and that's what I find a lot of entrepreneurs do when they start their own company is they go and hire ahead of this and ahead of that, a VP of this, a director of that. And all that wonderful cash goes like, it's like an internal whirlpool. It goes down into the whirlpool. And that's where a lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs I see get into trouble quite early on because they don't realize, you know, they're, they're not cash flow savvy, they're yeah. cash savvy. And there's a huge difference, um, which I talk about in, in, in uh, both Three Simple Steps. And I have another book, Secrets to a Successful Starter, which goes through how to start this way. Don't, don't, you know, so the way, the way I, the analogy I use is if you buy a new house, yeah. you wouldn't hire a full-time handyman to sleep in the spare bedroom just in case something goes wrong. <laughs> you, you tend to do that in businesses when you start, you hire this person, that person, get a personal assistant. And, and before you know it, 
that incredible, wonderful thing called cash, which has either come from you and your friends and your savings or from an investor, it's gone, you know, it goes yeah. really quickly. So, so it's just a, it's, it's a, an opportunity to, to pause and just think about, do I really need to hire a full-time person here or not? And in this age, you know, when I started my first company, 2001, it was still dial-up internet. So it wasn't as easy as now. Now it's so easy just to find a vendor who can, you know, you can get a volume contract or a, or a time contract and you can get, you know, you, you can get, you don't need a CFO anymore. Yeah. Um, I apologize. You get fractional CFOs. You yeah. I apologize everything. for the CFOs who are out there, but, but you don't need it anymore because technology has really replaced all of that. So now I use this model alliances, you know, a model of alliances. It's a, it's basically a hub model. I have companies that I've come to know over the years who will provide the full function for me. And on the terms of, you know, as we grow, obviously they add more people to it and add more time to it and the price goes up over time. But why I like it is because you only have to pay for, for what you need. So you can ramp up really quickly or you can, you know, turn it back down a couple of notches if you if you if you budget and for entrepreneurs are always optimistic right we always we always under budget and over forecast <laughs> always. let me ask you let me ask you a clarifying question on that so uh and this would be i guess i don't know if it's appropriate to say a devil's advocate question but so when i know that if you're hiring people who are either like in an alliance and i don't know if there's a big difference between an alliance and a contractor or something like that or a contract model like an agency etc but i know that one of the issues that I've had, my clients have had, et cetera, is that that often works in the very beginning, but as you grow and then you need, your team needs more focused effort. So I actually need that other person to be almost a hundred percent focused on my business, as opposed to being one of multiple clients. I may only get 10% of that person's work product or or mindshare per day. Um, and I know as a business gets you know bigger, just re it requires some more attention to it. So at what point, you know, it, it sounds like you ne didn't necessarily outgrow the alliance model, where I think a lot of companies do. They start to outgrow it, and then that's why they start to hire all the full time staff, et cetera. So how do you kind of account for that aspect? So it's pure choice on my part because I was, I was I enjoy doing building companies so much and I get bored so quickly and so easily that you're absolutely right. Every company gets to a certain point where it's no longer cost effective to run the hub model. Or you can probably run a quasi, you know, like a quasi hub model at some point, and then it would go full time. I exit before that point. That's my that's my Perfect. personal strategy. Okay. And so and so for my first company it really did start to get to that point. And I don't work more than five hours a day ever, never have, and, and don't see, it's, it's not productive to do that. And so when things start to get busy, where I find other people seem to have convinced themselves that they need to work eight or nine hours a day, I can talk them out of it if they will let me, but if, if they're convinced about that, that's when I exit. And so with my first company, Qual Medical, it was six years and I exited for 105.5 million. And okay. then my second company was only three years and that was a 200 million exit. Um, and because at that point it's already got big and I'm going through it right now with company number four, um, which is my oldest company. Actually, I started it alongside my first company. Oh, nice. And, and uh, now that's got to the point where, you know, I'm finding, I'm finding it's, it's, it's not cost effective to keep running the, the hub model. And so I'm talking to other companies about being acquired. Nice. What kind soon. of company is that? What, what's that company? It's a research and development company. It's a, a looking at a, a non-toxic treatment for colon cancer. Oh, beautiful. Mm. I love that. I, one of my best friends just went through a colon cancer surgery. Luckily, it was a surgery, removed everything, and it was low, early stage, so he didn't have to go through chemo, et cetera. He lucked out, but that just 
like last month he got the <laughs> the clear for that so yes it, you know if you catch it early it's great you know that's the that's yeah. the most important thing you know unfortunately some people because it's what we call a silent cancer it can grow yeah. for a long time before yes. you know you've got it. and and um and then it becomes late stage and there really aren't many options and so for me when I was growing up, my mum was uh, given six months to live. She had breast cancer. And I watched her go through all the various treatments and the side effects were awful. Uh, I mean, she helped, she managed to have cancer and bring up three kids with tremendous grace on living on welfare. But the side effects of, I, I've always sticks in my mind what she went through. It, it stole her, her womanhood, her confidence, her, you know. And so I've always been passionate about finding alternatives, natural alternatives yeah. to conventional medicine that can you know, help in that situation, but don't diminish the quality of life of the person taking it. And so everyone said it's impossible. I couldn't get any investors to invest in it, but here we are at the end of phase one in our FDA clinical trial. Wow. That, yeah. That's, that's amazing to hear. Now, have you, in, in all of your ventures, did you go through capital raising in the beginning to do that? Or did you bootstrap it? Uh, I bootstrapped and, and then, um, you know, someone, what, what someone told me once is the best piece of business advice I ever had. You don't know what business you're in until you get in the business to so just start. And I found that to be very true, especially in my first company, going off in the direction of, of rare diseases in children. You know, I, I came across an opportunity to purchase the rights to three more products I would never have known about it if I hadn't have been actually in the trenches, you know, in, in the battle, if you like. And so that required 28 million, which I managed to, I learned my lesson is that trying to raise a small amount of money is exhausting, but raising a large amount of money is relatively easy. Right. So we, we raised 20, I raised 28 million in six weeks and, uh, and we did that deal. So, so, you know, when there's a specific opportunity, then I like to have other people come in, not just for the money, although obviously the money helps, but the investors I feel bring so much more to a company than just the money. They bring um, experience for one thing, access to the, all their systems, including accounting and that sort of thing, um, but also you know connections that you never have by yourself. Yeah. So I like to, even if I don't need investors, I like them to be in the in the business at some point. Yeah, and then do you typically tap your existing network for those investors, or did you kind of go out cold and find people that? potentially had the interest in the money. Yeah, it was cold. It was all, all of it was cold calling. And the interesting thing was after the first success, I thought those investors would say, okay, what's next, Trevor? What can we invest in? Because I made them a lot of money, right? Yeah. And, and, and no, so I told them what my next venture was and they said, that won't work. It's impossible. Okay. So yeah, it was like- <laughs> So, they, so it, a every, time, every time it's been new people, every time. Wow. Okay. And how critical do you think raising the capital is to the success uh, of some of these businesses, you know, along with it? I think it's essential, Brad, because yeah. we live in a get big fast world now, and you're going to get left behind or crushed. In fact, if you if you it's don't true. do that, and you know, I'm the same as every other entrepreneur. I overestimate my abilities and underestimate the costs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> complexities. So, so <laughs> I, you, you know, even if you don't use the money, if you if you can be sure at the beginning that you've got access to it if you need it, that's a nice place to be because otherwise you're just going to get so burned out and so stressed you know, yeah. try, worrying about day-to-day -day bills. That's not the life of an entrepreneur that I ever wanted. I wanted to have fun building, yeah. creating, you know, and if- it, I mean, Money enables that, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's better to have 10% of 100 million than 100% of nothing, you know, yeah. so so why why not do that? Why not dilute? Right, and I know, I know you work with and advise other entrepreneurs right now, and obviously through your books and then through uh, personal engagements, et cetera. So how often when people are starting out, with a new thing, like do, do you typically encourage, I know, let me back up. 
I know this is all dependent upon the business model they're going after, right? If somebody's trying to create a huge B2B SaaS business or medical thing versus maybe a service-based business, et cetera, it kind of depends. But how soon do you typically advise people to look to raise capital like right away or after they've got a proven concept and kind of prototyped it out, validated the uh, business model? before you even start make sure yeah. you can you have access yeah, the, the key word is access you, you, yeah. you know you don't you know if you don't use it you don't have to pay um you know vc is hard to get right at the beginning so typically you're looking at seed capital and angel investors and they're usually very patient people because they want to see success so so typically they'll put money in that you don't have to pay back for a long time yeah. that that's a nice position to be in so if you can get that for the first two years which is always the bumpy time to get yeah. it out that that, that is, I, I always advise get you know even if you don't think you need it, or if you don't think you're ever going to need it, get it anyway. Yeah. I like that. You know, that's been a challenge for me. I've had, a, you know, I've had a few successes and I've had, you know, a few more failures, obviously like, like any entrepreneur, but um, there was a, you know, there was a couple recent, let's say e-commerce ventures that I uh, started up with some partners and the two biggest, re- well, the biggest reason that didn't work out was two things. Well, partnership differences, Right, between vision and uh, and bandwidth, that was one, and then the other piece was running out of capital. Where we we believe that we could have done a lot better with this model had we had the right capital to put it into place. But with um, none of us, we had all put in our initial owner's capital. But then uh, it got to the point where we needed extra. But I think our maybe it was our confidence. In it, like we could have gone, we didn't want to go to completely cold people, put together a huge pitch deck, just run out and, you know, try to raise a bunch of capital for this that we, and I think it was a confidence issue of, we could go to friends and family, we could go to people who had, we had closer connections to, but the idea of taking their money on something that we are still really trying to validate and prove out made us a lot more concerned because the last thing we'd want to do is burn through capital and relationships um, and I think that a lot of people, when they're thinking about raising fen- friends and family seed rounds, that's probably a big concern for them, which is the yeah, a lack of confidence that it's going to work, right? So I don't, I never want to raise money on something that I don't have a lot more confidence in. How, how would you advise people who are kind of in that similar situation to look at that? Um, you know, they need the money, but they're not quite sure how it'll all pan out for the people involved. I think the stress of borrowing from friends and family is is, is not worth it personally. Right. I, I I wouldn't. Fortunately, none of my family believed in me, so they weren't going to give me any money <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so that was a blessing. Um, but I think the stress of the worry of having to pay that back. I've I've done the partnership thing too, and I regretted it. So I, I'm now a one man band. I like I like that one man band. Um, you know, in our current business climate. I think it's really essential to have a proof of concept before you go to any investor, whatever type of investor it is. And I did that with my first company because before I got, I was negotiating the rights with my ex-CEO, I found there was another product that I could get for zero so long as I committed to, to the manufacturing, very tiny, tiny little product. And so I, I put the business model around that and I showed that I could get this product that was doing 100,000 in sales. I could, and I, made, I took it very quickly to about one and a half million, which is as much as I'd ever get with this this. Uh, this particular uh, asset, and, but I was able then to go to to any investor and say, "Look at this model, see how it works. Imagine what I can do if if, if we can get this bigger product," and and that just opened all the doors to me because you know that's what they want to see and what they want to hear. Plus, I'd made the I find 
a lot of entrepreneurs don't get away from their computer. They spend a whole year doing a business plan, but they don't ever talk to a potential customer or a potential vendor, and they don't have that feedback. They're never going to get investment. Okay, right. you, you've, an investor, and I'm an investor in a lot of different startups. You, you need to know what the potential customer thinks about this, and you need to hopefully see it, see the idea or the service or the product being tested on these potential customers. So you get data back that you can say, okay, we can scale this up quickly, because like I said before, we do live in this get big fast mode. Um, lots of great examples of, of that, you know, um, mirror.com came that um, was only two years old, isn't it? Even now it's only two years old. You know, the, the, the wonderful creative entrepreneur, she had this idea around Christmas time. She built the proof of concept and she was able to get, you know, Lululemon in as, a, as an early investor. That shows you that, that anything's possible. And then, you know, 18 months later, she sells it to Lululemon for 500 million. Yeah. That's the world we live in right now. But the, the key thing there was the proof of concept. Being able to go in with not just an idea of, hey, I, I've got this idea about a mirror, but here's a real copy that can be improved. You know, here's a real thing. So that's, that's really important. And I think you, can, you don't need to go to friends and family. You can go straight to angel investors, of which there are a thousand uh, groups. You, know, you just get on your computer and there's a, you know, all these angel investors willing to listen to you. Sometimes you have to pay a little bit of money to be heard, but that's fine. Right. Now, have you ever used sites like AngelList or things like that? Or do you have uh, other places that you look when you're looking for angels or that you advise people to do that? Yeah, so uh, all of them. So uh, because they because it's not just the the opportunity for them to hear you out and to give you, uh, you know, to, to invest in you. They know everybody. Yeah, because they're out there talking to all these entrepreneurs and all these other investors, and they can really help you. Quite often, you know, I'm part of a seed of a seed investor group, and we're independent. But but um, quite often, people will be asking, will be wanting me to invest, and I'll refuse because they're not thinking big enough. Yeah, and they want two hundred thousand, and I'll say you'll blow through that in a few months. Why am I going to put? Then, then you'll come back to me. And you want another two hundred thousand? Yeah, right. Yeah. So so I I talk them into thinking bigger and bigger. So so finally they get the concept. Hopefully they get the concept, and they come back to us and say, okay, actually you're right. We need five million to do this properly. That's not me now. I'm not that investor. So I say, but I do know who is. Yeah. And so, so me taking this entrepreneur to somebody works far better than that entrepreneur knocking on the door saying, would you would you listen to my pitch? So that I find that's how it works. So I think you you. I think everybody should put themselves in front of seed investors, first of all, to get that feedback, you know, to get some, some, some kind of response, real, real life response. But also that's the best way of networking for the type of funding that you quite often at the beginning, you don't know what you need. And you, you know, you're, we're starting, you're like, we're, we're fixing something or creating something. So we don't really know, we don't have all the answers. And so, so uh, putting yourself in a position to be challenged by people who've been there before you and done it, you know, watch the movie, bought the t-shirt type of thing. That's really, <laughs> yeah. Now, um, when you hire the alliance uh, people, right? I like call the alliance people, right? Like whether it's a CFO or whether it's a somebody who is, um, you know, providing other types of services, sales, whatever. Um, do you? Is it typically just a fee based arrangement? Or do you ever do uh, like profit share, equity, like et cetera? Like, does it? T- tell me about the way that you incentivize some of these people to really work deep with you besides um, just writing a check for fee for services well at the beginning it, it's mostly emotional blackmail <laughs> yeah. because, because they're not interested at the beginning because i'm i'm you know i go in with my new idea and i say i'm just starting and they say yeah well we're busy we've got all the customers we need and um and and so what i have to do is tell them a, a real life story a patient story or something like that or the the little engine that could type of story and try to get them to understand that, you know imagine now the future and this is a 200 300 million dollar company 
Yeah. And you can say to all of your other vendors, he was nothing when we first started with him. That right. that type of story really grabs people and they, they, they like to get involved. Um, I find they take ownership. I make it a point to share every bit of good feedback I get from customers with everybody who's in the network, everyone who's yeah. in the model of alliances. So even if it's a guy who's on a, on a the production floor, you know, making the vials that, that our product is going to go into, I, li- I like to get him, at, you know, get his attention and show how important what he does for me is in the lives of these people that right. they, his work really matters. And they love that. And they, they, and it's sincere, it's authentic. I mean it. And um, everybody's has a critical role. And then as success comes in, you mentioned profit share. I think it's the number one way of motivating people to do more and, and, and you know, go beyond the, the scope of the work, if, if you like. And that's what I, what I find. So in all my companies, I've got four right now. I, I I've had to convince the vendor, including my digital company, my digital marketing company, I've had to convince the vendors that the, you know profit sharing is a really good thing. They they want a contract price, right? They want an X, X thousand per month, and I'm saying, well, I'm willing to pay this amount per month, but I'll also give you twenty percent profit share. And it, they don't understand what that is. And then of course, <laughs> your first really good year, and they get this massive check, and it changes everything. You know, now right. they now that's all they want is profit share. Oh, forget the contract price. You know, let's have more profit. So so it's a mixture of all of that. But you can't do all of that on day one. You've really got to because because you're a tiny fish in a huge pond. Yep. The danger is you're not going to get the attention or, or um, uh, concentration or focus that you want. So it's it's a it's very much a case of of making everybody who's a, in this model of alliances making them feel that they're a critical part of building something special. That I put most most effort into that, and then all the money and stuff like that takes care of itself. The other thing about the model of alliances is is that you can play the card of I'm small and I'm new and I'm doing something really everyone says it's impossible, but could make a huge impact in the world. Can I have six months free? You know, uh, so, so I, you get like, a, especially in the service contracts, you can get six months and you can get 90 day terms and you can negotiate all of that. I, f- I find the vendors really willing to to be flexible with the, with the small new guy, if you like. Right, especially I guess if you really enlist them in the vision, people yeah. want to be a part of something big and it, you know, there's an art to that. Do you ever give up equity or is it technically just profit share? Uh, with venture capital, I have you have no choice but to give it yeah. equity. But you know, the rest of it is just cash profit share. Okay. Yeah, no, I like that. The um, I think in I think in Ryan Moran's interview with you, I think you alluded to this. I was going to ask you what you know. All entrepreneurs have particular sets of qualities that kind of are behind their success. Like not, none of us are the most full, well-rounded entrepreneur can do everything. But I think you said that one of your big strengths there was, was it managing or leading or something like that, that that was the, um, one of the things that you really brought to the table that you were a good manager and putting these pieces together and making sure that every, like that everybody rode together. But is, is that accurate? Or was there, is there anything else that you think that, that your particular skill set really lent to your success versus something else? Like, like, what are you great at? What do you, what are you kind of like terrible at as an entrepreneur? I don't think I'm great at anything. And, and I, uh, you know, I've, I've I've gone through this in my own head many times because when I started my first company, I just said I'd like to start a company. What am I good at? And it was a bit of an eye opener to find out I'm not I'm not very skilled at anything. Okay, you know, I'm not not good with my hands. I'm not I'm not good around the house. My wife would never let me near a toolbox. Um, you know, as sales and marketing, although it has a certain skill level to it, anyone can do it. So it's yeah. right. There's any number of successful sales and marketing companies that. So I really couldn't think of anything that I was good at. But I think what in the in the Ryan Moran interview, I think what I was referring to is that. When I got into the business, I found out it really wasn't any different to what I was doing in sales and marketing. When I was a sales manager, 
I had seven or eight sales representatives. When I was a regional manager, I had seven district managers. When I was a national sales manager, I had like six, seven, eight regional managers. And so all it was my whole career. And then you know, one day I had this huge title, you know, executive vice president of commercial development. Yeah. <laughs> the smaller the company, the bigger the badge, you know. Yeah. And 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 all it was was seven directors. I mean, just seven business directors. And so really it is just if you have the ability to manage a small group of people, you're capable of building any type of company in any industry. There's, there's no limits. You don't need to, you know, I haven't had to go to school to learn certain aspects of an industry. I've just been able to, to you know, I've got enough smarts to pick. I've got good intuition, so I'm able to pick people who I think they can do a good job or vendors or, you know, or contractors. And then, you know, we just get together and, and, and we, we become a team. We all take ownership. And, and so my, um, we live in a, you know, we can get into energy, if you like. We live in a time where the energy has shifted from that old-fashioned sort of lateral, what we used to call masculine type of energy where, yeah. you know, you 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 know, if you have a problem, call a meeting, you know, if, 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 if you've got an opportunity, hire somebody, you know, that, that, that um, energy has been, is shifted now to this sort of fast spiraling energy. And so intuition becomes very important now. You don't have time to call a meeting anymore. So, but also my, my uh, sort of management style has changed from when I was in the traditional hierarchical companies, you know, it's sort of, it's like top down management style, you know, protecting yourself, you know, mm-hmm. covering your own back, that type of thing. But also you kind of suppress the people who are ranked below you a little bit and you try to impress the people above you yeah. in, in the hub model that all goes away, which is lovely. It's wonderful. And so it's peer to peer, it's trust level. So building a team like that, where, where you're in the team too, you know, you're not sort of looking down on the team and supervising you're in the team and you're all figuring this at this stuff out by yourself. That is a really motivating and inspiring way to work. I find I would never change it for that, for that, that would be my number one reason for always using the hub model is that it's like working with, you know, you work with people you really trust and they trust you and there's no performance and appraisal nonsense. There's no yep. meeting nonsense, you know? So no, I, lo- I love that. And it's, um, it- it also kind of makes me think about like, I don't know, the difference between leadership and management. Cause there is you know, obviously there's a big difference. Uh, I, I find myself, for instance, it, when I'm in companies, I'm a better leader than I am a manager. Cause the minute it gets down to, and I don't even want to use the word micromanaging, but if I, I hate trying to stay on top of people. Okay. Trevor, did you do this? Like, tell me this, tell me this. I, I hate that aspect of management as opposed to, uh, setting the vision, setting the expectations, getting it in emotion. Um, but when I feel like I start to have to babysit and manage and, you know, cover, you know, deal with mistakes, all that stuff, that's the stuff I don't like as an entrepreneur. Did you find yourself ever getting into that real my kind of micromanagement role or did you stay much more of a, as a, like in that leadership space? I, I mean, you can call it leadership, Brad. I, 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 I you know, in, in, um, my books were like in three simple steps. I talk about the, you know, if you look at your regular career, how little time is productive, how much time you spend in the office. And there's all the surveys show, you know, that the productive time was less than two hours. Okay. Yeah. So, so as an entrepreneur, the tendency as an entrepreneur is, is to suddenly feel guilty because you've got all this time on your hands. So you sit in front of your computer waiting for an email or you're waiting for the phone. <laughs> and I, at first I started to question, am, am I crazy? Am I doing, I must be doing something wrong. I've got all this spare time. And then I realized, oh, hang on, I'm not attending any meetings. I'm not, 
supervising. I'm not checking up on people. There's no update meeting. There's no like, uh, so what are you going to do this week? And at the end of the week, what did you do this week? All of that nonsense that we all have to put up with in the corporate world. Right. Uh, and so because of that, you do have to sort of retrain your mind into, okay, I need to think differently now. I need, I need to manage in a different way. And I need to structure my day in, a, in differently. It's it's okay for me to go to the grocery store at 10 o'clock in the morning. It's, you know, I don't have to feel guilty. I can go to the gym, you know, start so breaking your, your sort of time up like that. So, so it, that was when, when three simple steps was launched. That's what I got most emails about was, was this new way. Is that really possible? Could I leave my corporate world and then actually not work more than five hours a day, you know, be, actually be productive. And, and the whole reason is because I can show in, in those references that most people in a regular career, you know, are wasting their time most of the time. Yeah. So when you're, and I think that's really, cha that's challenging to do. I, I've been challenged with that myself and it's uh you know, you may be done with the productive stuff, but there's always something to do or it always feels like there's something to do. And it, it, even if it's not that important, we're just in front of our computer, like, okay, we'll come up with something and we'll be busy, but not super productive. But we feel like if we leave, we're shirking our responsibility to the, the company. I know I've, I've dealt with that and I've been at my desk for 12 hours, but I look back at how much actual productive time. And it was a couple, actually reminds me, I bought a business I bought, and it was a small business. It was an online based business. And it was, uh, it was a relatively small purchase, it, you know, versus the rest of my income, et cetera. And I remember when I bought it, I was like, all right, this is actually, I can do this. Like the whole idea of the four hour work week, I was like, I could work on this business for four hours a week and it would be fine because it doesn't need that much from me. And I bought it. And then I realized, well, wait a minute, those four hours a week that it got from me because they were almost like my extra hours were really bad hours. Like I, my brain, I was brain dead on them. I wasn't giving it my best because I was doing all the other stuff in my normal businesses that um, required real brain power. So when I sat down, I was like, I'm, oh, oh damn, what did I just do? Because <laughs> I don't have four quality hours a week for that. And it really more than anything solidified that concept that, you know, it's not time management, it's energy management and it's yeah, exactly. bandwidth management. Like, You've only got a handful. And the older we get, though, you know, the less of that productive focus that I found that I've got. Like, so well, it's, you know, it's science shows that um, our brains are at the most creative when they're tired, which most people think is the other way around. And so, so at trevorgblake.com, there's a free download, no strings attached for everybody because this is such an important um, point. I put a little course out there for free. It's called The Practical Magic of the Five Hour Workday. I love and, it. And, and so what I, but I, I think it's, we, you know, everyone has the right to understand why does it work? How does it work? So I talk a little bit about, uh, you know, um, brain management and, and uh, productive planning and stuff like that. But also I take it back in time. So I go to pre-industrial revolution days. The average worker only worked four hours a day. And this shocks most people. Most people have this image of somebody, you know, being slave. fields. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they worked. They had the priorities right. They had, they had uh, family, church. Or, or spirit, whatever you want to call it, leisure and work. Work was literally number four priority. And, and so now we're work, 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 right? And so, um, so, so I show that the old village-centric lifestyle is somewhere where we have the opportunity to go back to today because of technology. It allows us to do it. And as I was writing that, that's in uh, Secrets to a Successful Startup too. And as I was writing that, COVID hit. And of course, all of this is tsunami of people moving away from the, the factory floor in the workplace, if you like, and going working from home without any training, without any experience, you know, of understanding. They're calling it the Zoom boom. Yeah, I mean, it's a, um, you know, it's a cultural shock to everybody, but now a lot of people really like it and don't want to go back. But what the point I, I was trying I to make in this practical magic of the five-hour workday 
is to is not to think of well i've got my work oh and by the way i also need to take a break you have to treat the break as equally important as the work because that's where the magic happens everyone's had the experience of being in the shower and coming up with a magic idea right so so what i do is i i structure i don't do any work in the morning before 9 so 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 9 to 11 is my productive work you know whatever that may be and then i treat 11 till 2 with the same degree of commitment but i'm i'm going for a walk in the woods and i'm going for a long lunch somewhere and and that's where the magic happens and i get all those aha moments you know like why didn't i think of this before you know slapping this off on the forehead just wasted 2 hours of my life trying to figure it out and it comes to me from this from the ether if you like so so structuring your workday like that and it's scientifically proven to be the right way to do it but i also can point to people we should admire who do it so like for, for instance all nasa's pilots are required to have an afternoon nap it's, it's mandatory and it improves their performance 34 percent once they get behind the, the the stick again so so there's you know there's really good scientific reasons for structuring your world that way and i, I found in my businesses you know all all of the solutions and all of the great ideas they don't come when i'm sat at my computer you know they, they just don't that's computers with my spreadsheets pretty much you know, they you know come, that's one of the big things to interject there uh that i've really noticed and i was I, i've thought about this for years i keep on is one of those things I, get, I keep on telling myself i'm going to do something about that but then it ends up not getting done but i realized like i'm a very extroverted highly people oriented uh person where that that's where the magic happens for me and i find myself behind my computer way 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 too much for what it's worth and it's not where it's the mat my magic has never happened behind the computer but then and you know obviously covid made a uh made that even more pronounced because you just uh, nowhere else to go right but um it is funny i was thinking about that the other day it's like i need to force myself off my damn computer with that one of my friends said one of his hacks is his he'll take his laptop let's just say it's between nine and 11. He'll take it to the beach. He'll take it to a coffee shop, but he'll take it without a power cord. And he'll say, I'm going to work on this computer until my power runs out. Most computers run out, you know, two to four hours or whatever. So he goes, once that's done, it's done. And then I'm doing my other stuff. And I thought that was kind of an interesting way to force yourself to stop working once the battery. Yeah, dies. That's, that's smart. I haven't, I've never thought of that. That is smart. <laughs> you know, and then, and you're going to probably take a lot less uh, breaks or like check Facebook a lot less because like, well, I've got a limited amount of power here to, to work with. <laughs> I got to get it done. It's like where nobody's ever as productive as the day before vacation. That's I also one of my hacks is is separate devices for work and separate devices for personal never oh, mix smart. I never mix the two because it's you know you, you'd have to be really strong-willed if you've got it all on one iPhone say for instance you've got to be really strong-willed at seven o'clock at night when the thing dings and it's a work thing and you're immediately back into work and, and so yeah so having separate devices means that I can't be disturbed I lock so I lock my devices make my uh, work devices you know, behind the door and they don't see the light of day till nine o'clock the next morning. And so that, that was vital to me because I never wanted my businesses to interfere with my personal life because I was very lucky to have a really amazing um, uh, personal life. Yeah. So, so I was very sort of uh, disciplined about that. That you know. Yeah, that's definitely been an issue in mine too. I mean, I've worked from home for a long time. I've had offices, but I, you know, I, and I like working from home. I have, this is a, a spare bedroom that is now my, it's solely an office that I'm in, but having that room just a couple steps away it's really easy to just get always sucked back into um to doing that so speaking of the three simple steps i've, I've bought the book and i believe i did start to read it like right before our interview but i have not gone deeply but i would love to hear 
like, can you summarize what those three simple steps are and how they've been so powerful in your life and that of the, you know, readers and people you've helped? Yeah, um, easily. And because I, I am as flawed and screwed up as anybody. So I need this, these three steps today as much as I've ever need them. So, so that's the authenticity part of it, if you like. So, so the first step is all about mentality control, because we, we tend, we tend to, um, not think about the words and the thoughts that we're having. We tend to let them happen randomly and you know, their energy, thoughts are energy. Uh, we, today we can use MRI to, to take a picture of, of, of a thought happening. So the real, uh, you know, real pieces of uh, real real parts of energy, but with a me- slightly measurable charge. And the problem with the, pro- the problem with that is that everything is energy and therefore energy follows the laws of thermodynamics. So energy can neither be created nor destroyed, only converted into another form. So all of our thoughts go out to the universe and they come back and give us exactly what we just thought about. So if you start out, if you start your day thinking, I would love to be an entrepreneur, but I'm not ready yet, or I can't do it, or it's too much, or I can't get money. All of those thoughts go out and they give you more reason to keep thinking the same thing. So the first, the first part of three, three simple steps is to get control of that mentality back again. It's not positive thinking. That's impossible because thoughts happen so fast, 500 milliseconds. I think positive thinking is a bit of nonsense, but personally, Um, but what you do have control over is, is positive reaction. So you can catch yourself having these thoughts. And as you catch yourself, you, you sort of reframe it. You think, I'll, I'll say that differently and think that differently. And what, by doing that, you end up pulling your individual self back to where you're supposed to be. Most of us have lost that, you know, very early on in life by the time we're five. Yeah, so I, learned that, I learned that I technique that years ago when I was studying uh, neuro-linguistic programming and uh, I was doing a lot of that. And one of the things that my mentor in that space said, like, just whenever you catch yourself saying one of those, like, oh, I, I don't know, like I suck at this or whatever, you know, like some negative thoughts is say cancel or delete, like cancel, 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 or delete, delete, delete. And you're verbally saying like, delete that thought out of my head. And it's a quick little pattern interrupt. And I know I've done that. I've caught myself going, I don't delete, 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 rephrase that because you're right. Words are extremely powerful. So sorry yeah, to interrupt, I, but I, I do the same thing. I, I actually do say out loud, delete. So, nice. so I'm, I'm yeah, glad. But, we're on the same track. I love it. <laughs> we probably went to the same course and read the same book, exactly. but, it, but, it, but you know, it's really important to do that because there, there's no shortage of people out in the world who will tell you, you can't do this. Okay. They're, they're, they're going to tell you that you can't, your idea is crazy or, or, or you, you know, I was told by the, the person I was negotiating with to get the rights. You can't be a CEO. You're not, you, you don't have the skill. You don't have the financial background, you know, a thousand reasons why I won't be successful as an entrepreneur. And so you do, so you need to have these protective tools, which that three simple steps has, you know, like and I think about 40 or 50 different tools that you can use to, to, get yourself back from that because that will affect you. We're, we're human. So when someone tells you you're, you're, you're rubbish, we, you know, that goes into our heads. It's not, it, it, you can't stop it. And so, but you can react to it. So that, that's, that's the first part. And then once you've got that control back, the second part is about how to prepare yourself for the modern business world or the modern life, if you like. And that is this new spiraling energy that we're in, how to be, how to, how to create the ability to adapt and adopt quickly and how to use your intuition. So I was lucky enough to be married to somebody who had incredible intuition and I was in awe of it, to be honest with you, because I didn't. And so I've worked for a couple of decades now on creating a better connection between my my thought process and, and my uh, intuitive decision-making. That's absolutely vital for the modern business. We don't have time now to have meetings and, and, and strategies and stuff like that. You've got to go with your gut. And, yeah. uh, I, I think that's vital. So, so the, but there's things you can do. There's ways to learn and splitting up the day, the five hour workday is all part of that because getting out into nature is a good way to develop deeper connection. That's the one thing. And then the, the third part of three simple steps is about where to, where to direct that power. And that's about intentions as opposed to goal setting. Goal setting is very 
poorly taught uh, in the world. And so I wanted I wanted to show the difference between goal setting and intention setting. And that's, that's what the third part about. And it's, 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 it's partly about the magic of thinking big, it's partly about aim really high. And, and it's also about crushing time and imagination together because time's an illusion. So you imagine your success has already occurred yes. and you feel how that feels. And that, and you you start to bring it closer and closer, closer to you. Whereas it would always have been slightly out of reach for the next forty or fifty years, and you, you you'll die frustrated by by crushing that time and imagining what success feels like already. The success you want for yourself, you pull it in, and and all kinds of miracles start showing up. And that's that's really how the intention setting works. Yeah, I, I love that. So, can you give me an example? And I, I I've got a like I talk about this stuff a lot with like friends, colleagues, et cetera, like the difference between uh, I, I call it goals versus aspirations, but I like actually the intention a little bit better. I know I read a book by, he's an innovation consultant named Stephen Shapiro, and he wrote a book called Goal-Free Living. And it was exactly about this concept about how, it, and when you look at the highest performers, it's never, we all think that, oh, if I achieve this goal, I'll be happy. And it's science is even proven. No, I, I mean, I think it's even called like the gold medalist effect or the Olympic effect that, you know, the actual celebration of this lasts minutes. And then sometimes people go into depression if they only focus on achieving goals. And if you're so myopically focused on a goal, you miss so many potential opportunities. Um, and so he ends up focusing on, uh, you know, like aspirations or like intentions. And I know when I did this, there was a, there was a, this was really powerful for me, but it was also, there's a, there's a downside to it. So I've always had a hard time coming up with very, very specific goals for my life, like saying I have a number that I want to make in revenue or assets, or I want to get to this size. Like it, none of it just drives me. It's like, okay, that sounds good. I want a $10 million a year business. Sounds good, but it doesn't wake me up in the morning and drive me. And I focus like my three biggest aspirations or intentions have always been, I want to be fully engaged in what I do, right? Like I want to enjoy the hell out of what I'm doing. Cause if I'm not doing that, life's too short. I want to be surrounded, work with, play with people who inspire me. I want to be surrounded by amazing people. And I want to make really good money. Now, the nice part is those are those are great intentions. The bad part is they're so non-specific. They're hard to realize when you got them. And I remember I woke up one day and I looked back, I was like, well, I have actually am living all these That's things. Right. But it doesn't feel <laughs> like it doesn't feel like I ran through that finish line and like I crossed it. I achieved this. So there's kind of that, it may, it, it opens the opportunity up to, I think, enjoy life a little bit more, but it makes it harder to shoot for that target because it's a bit of a fuzzier goal. So I'd love to hear kind of like your version of like goals versus intentions. And I don't know if what I said is kind of like along those lines in alignment with it that. Is. It, it, it is, except, except you've used the word. I want a lot and therefore you you haven't crushed the time so you have sure. to go you have to go present tense or past tense that's critical oh, that's okay. a free tip, free tip to everybody so so it's you know before i even started my first company part of the intention was i've sold the company for at least 100 million dollars i'd already done that cool. but the the key thing so if you go back into all the great sages through the ages people like neville goddard and people like that they talk about the feeling is so important it's about yeah. what does that feel like so so the mantra for all my companies has always been the same make a positive difference in someone's life have fun doing it you touched on that that's so so important 
and then sharing all the rewards, material and otherwise that come naturally as a result of setting that energy and flow. That's been the mantra, my mission, vision, values, if you like, through all, all of my companies. And the reason for that is exactly what you're talking about, is I, I want to be involved in something that inspires me. And that for me, that's always making a difference, some, some kind of impact. I'm not, I'm not just going to start a new landscape company or, 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 or find a new cupcake recipe. That's not going to inspire me. So what I want to do is, is do something that everyone says is impossible and go fix it. And that inspires me to do it. And like you say, you know, when you go with that intention, you, you predict, predict, you know, I mean, always um, draw to you the people that you need and the people who will help you keep building that and building that excitement. But as far as, as far as um, imagining the attention, intention and, and then it arriving, what you described is absolutely how it feels when you achieve that intention. You don't feel excited because you've got yourself to such a, such a level of desire called just knowing, yeah. um, which I talk about in, in all my courses and books and stuff. So when you get to just knowing, when it happens, your emotion is one of gratitude. My, my emotion is one of gratitude, not one of excitement. And I'm prepared for that. But what I do in order to sort of fuel the intention is I know that after every milestone that I've set as an intention, so let's say it's selling the company for 100 million or, or whatever, after that happens, I know I, I create in my mind a celebration event. And so when it happens, I'm, I allow myself to celebrate. And that can be all kinds of things. In, in this company I'm negotiating for the sale of now, I know what the celebration event will look like. I know where it's going to be. I've touched it. I've felt it. I've smelt it. And I, I know what the, the, the expression on the faces of the people who will be gathered there is going to be like, because they're going to have a really nice and surprising night because of what's in the secret envelopes. So, so, so I've got this event already planned, even though I haven't yet achieved the event itself. I'm negotiating it right now. Um, for, for my first company, that celebrative event in my mind was buying my wife an Aston Martin Vantage. That was the car of her dreams. Yeah. She, she wanted, she was specific. She wanted it in uh, tungsten silver and she wanted the red caliper brakes. And the day after I did my first deal, when I sold the company, um, million, I, I, I walked into the dealership in Bellevue in Washington and, and it came in that day. That car oh, that day. And I, I purchased it with cash, $143,000. I remember it like it was yesterday. But I did that because I had imagined for the previous six years the look on my wife's face when I show it, when I bring it yeah. to her. And it was priceless. And you couldn't put a price on that, on how yeah. special that was for me. That just made me proud and felt like an achiever. And I made my wife happy. But I, I, that was part of my intention. And so I could wake up every day in the previous six years and imagine that event as part of my intention setting. And that's the difference between a goal, which is typically a target with a specific milestone uh, and intentions. Intentions are a lifestyle um, that just yeah. fire, you, fire you up. I love that. Yeah. That, and that was actually one of the things you, you mentioned feeling, you know, and how important that is. And I remember this maybe three or four years ago, I did an exercise, which was, um, you know, I started off with like, what do I want? And when it comes down to physical things, like there nothing, there's nothing that I can say, oh, I want this. Like, oh, that'd be nice to have a nicer house. It'd be nice to have a nicer car. But I can't say that those were ever drivers like, oh, I want this. Like there's no emotional pull. So I reframed it as like, how do I want to feel? I was like, I want to wake up. I want to feel energized. I want to feel loved, but I also want to feel like loving. I want to feel safe and secure. I want to feel excited and curious. And like, these are all the things, these are all the different ways I want to feel. And I think I maybe, maybe came up with about 10 different aspects or feelings. And then I asked myself, you know, what would it take to feel these things fully, you know, regardless of the vehicle that brings it to me, maybe it's not the business, maybe it's not the, you know, something else, but and I actually, that reminds me to kind of go back to that exercise. Cause that's really what life is all about. How do you want to experience life? I want to experience it through these emotions and these states of being um 
And I think a lot of us, myself, fully as, as guilty as anybody, we think of the vehicle first and then we hope that we get the other, like, I want to build a business to do this and maybe I'll achieve these things. What if you can achieve those things without the vehicle you think you need? I, I get this. I get this in email a lot, Brad. But people, people have attached the vehicle already. They've, you're, you're saying it beautifully, the, and, and they're, 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 they're trying to figure out. They want to be a multimillionaire, yeah. and they're trying to figure out how to do that. You don't need to. You just have to in, intention it, and it'll happen somehow. And but they're in a business, and they're assuming that the business is what's going to get them there. But it doesn't have to be. It could, it could be a lottery win. It could be someone turning up at your front door, an uncle you didn't know you had. You know. Yeah. I mean, it, it can be anything. But so, so that's why, like you say, why feeling that success is really important, but you don't ever ask how and you don't attach anything to it along the way. Yeah. And that was a, that was one of my biggest takeaways from Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Workweek. I don't know if you ever got a yeah. chance to read that, but one of the biggest things was he said, uh, I, I can almost remember it verbatim, which was that most people think they want to have millions of dollars. They want to be a millionaire and have millions of dollars. What they really want is they want to experience what they think only people with millions of dollars can experience. And that is they see freedom, uh, freedom of movement, freedom to take breaks, freedom of stress, freedom of, of uh, lifestyle, et cetera. He goes, you actually don't need to have millions of dollars in the bank to experience that. You can experience it with a lot less money, but as long as it's coming in that a way that affords you freedom, et cetera. Thus the that concept of like a four hour work week is like, all right, I got things doing this for me. I don't need millions and millions of dollars coming in. And I know that really reframed my vision of success. I was like, oh, you know what? You're right. Um, millions and millions of dollars helps. <laughs> you can do a lot more fun things, but uh, it's not, that's not what people actually want. We want that experience. Yeah. And part of that is, so money is just another form of energy, right, Brad? I mean, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but but it's just another form of energy. And and so one of the things that I find people do, they, they, they when they start out intention setting, of course, we all make these kind of mistakes and, and it's a process that I, we work through in my course of the book and people figure it out. But typically they view financial independence as like getting to the summit of Mount Everest. Like it's something to have, like it's a place to go. And it's not like that at all because money is energy. So, so financial independence means that you have a lot of financial financial flow through your life but you have to let it flow as soon as you try to stamp as soon as you try to grasp it put it under, under the blankets or something like that you create stagnation and, and it all unwinds horribly for you so it's learning that financial independence isn't a place to get to but is a lifestyle is, is a big eye-opener for a lot of people so you know you start out with a little flow but have the courage to let it flow I mean yeah. you know the Richard Branson's and the and the Elon Musk worlds they're, they're not they don't have a Hogwarts vault where they have all the gold coins stashed, you know, you know, they, their, their money flow is huge. And it's, it's cause it's been reinvested and reinvested and they're using it to build this and try that and not, not always successfully, but it's, but they're, they're sort of conductor of an orchestra. And, and it's almost like, it's almost like trying to achieve harmony with finance. Well, so, I think that's one I, of the greatest skills that most people don't have. I don't have it in a, in enough abundance, which is uh, like, I don't think anybody does or very few the people you mentioned do, which is that understanding how, so money flows through everybody. Like sometimes it flows through to just people just spend everything they get. Right. So it's flowing, but it's flowing in the right direction. And it's, I think it's really understanding how to direct that flow to productively and efficiently so that you're not just directing it to the wrong, whether it's just spending on, uh, you know, the Rolex watch and the cars and all this other stuff. Um, or that you're not just chasing bad investments. Like a lot of people will throw it into bad investments, whether it's um, like, and I've done that in the past where a, a perfect example was 
I started off as a financial advisor in my mid twenties, back in the late nineties. And I was, uh, you know, and I had some really good savings from that. I, you know, I didn't spend on college and I had about 50 to a hundred thousand dollars and dot com boom. I'm sure you remember it. You know, throw a dart at the, you know, at a stock ticker and you'll make money as long as it had a dot com behind it. And I, you know, I got heavily margined and I lost everything within a couple months when it crashed in 2000. And then I got back and I got into real estate investing and I made all that money back over a couple of years. And then I saw an oil and gas well that, you know, it was pitched to me as an investment. And I put about a hundred thousand dollars into that. I was making stupid investments, right? I was like trying to make that money flow, but I wasn't good with money. And I was just like, all right, I just throw it here. I lost it. Got into, you know, digital marketing and started to make money. You know, luckily, luckily I've not made that, those, that dumb mistake yet. Like, so I've, I've learned from that experience, but I know that I had to have like experience was a really son of a bitch teacher. Um, but I think that's a, that's a real nuance that a lot of people don't understand, which is like how to direct that flow wisely uh, so that it's not recklessly. Um, you, that's the first time I've really ever kind of had that thought that you really kind of gave And that's why intuition becomes so important, particularly as things change so fast now, and, you know, the, 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 the latest fad, the latest crypto, whatever it may be. I was just going to bring crypto up. Intuition's, well, yeah, it is a classic example of that. So intuition is really important. I had this very similar experience to you during the dot-com uh, madness, by the way. Um, I started with, I put, it was, I put 5,000 in, got it up to about 250,000 and then lost it on the same day that I was traveling to Chicago. So by when I got to Chicago, it was all gone. <laughs> yeah. uh. You know, just, just one of the, one of those things. Um, with the, with Bitcoin, I tried to buy $10,000 worth of Bitcoin when it was eight cents. That wow. would be, that'd be worth about 3 billion now. Um, <laughs> so go with your intuition. I got put off because you had to go in the dark. In, in, into the, oh, it was pain back then. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 So I'm, I'm, I'm very happy where I am right now, but I didn't get back in until it was a lot higher above eight cents. <laughs> Same here. And, you know, to use a perfect example of that, where, you know, I, I started investing in that, like dabbling back in late, in middle of 2017. So I watched, but it, it was like five grand. I watched it go up. I watched it go down and I never really dove really into it to really understand what was going on until about middle of 2020, which is before it started to really rip higher. But one of my close friends who became my kind of crypto investing mentor, luckily he's a very methodical, relatively conservative investor and not one of these degenerates who just like, hey, it's new, welcome to the new casino. <laughs> but, um, and because I'd learned my lesson several times about betting on just the wild high flyers, it allowed me to tamp, you know, temper my investments to primarily blue chips, going in very methodically and not getting caught up in a lot of the crazes. And I, I get caught up in some of the crazes and the, you know, the, the crazy coins and all this NFT stuff. But I would do that with a very small amount of money. And I look at that as my, this is my learning money. Like I'm willing to waste that just to pay attention to it and learn. But I do have a bunch of friends who got caught up through money at absolute trash coins. and now are sitting on major losses, I'm, I can sleep at night because of those past mistakes I've made. It's like, you know, yeah, experience is a... <laughs> yeah, I, I think the dot-com taught me the same thing. Like, you know... And we know what it's like to lose everything. And it's a lot more painful than those wins feel good. Yeah, and I, I was like you, you know, I, I thought I was a brilliant stock picker, but everybody was picking stocks. It didn't matter what it was. Like Rising you said, your comment, off it goes, you know, and you think you think you're a genius. So yeah, that lesson was good for me too. So I've been I'm pretty much the same. Um, yeah. 
but that's been, it has actually been challenging for me, especially being burned twice.com and then oil and gas to have the confidence in myself for letting money flow to the right places. And sometimes that's with, with people, with vendors, like a lot of us get burned. We'll, we'll hire a vendor. We think they're going to do something good. Um, and they, uh, you know, they let you down and that happens enough times. You kind of get burned more and more, you get stingier. I've, I've had to reopen myself up, but I, I definitely went through that period where I got like really close. And I just said, you know, screw it. I'm just going to do this all myself. Right. And that's when my business really slowed down which was when I was like, I don't trust anybody. They're all going to waste my money. And I became a little bit miserly. And it, yeah. And that's, 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 that's a, that's a dilemma, especially, you know, being a guy, our intuitions aren't as good as, you know, I mean, if I could bottle women's intuition, I'd be the richest man on the planet. Um, But there's things that we can do to improve our connection with intuition that help us not make the same mistakes. And I use that a lot with picking vendors. So, so I'm an intuitive uh, entrepreneur in in many ways. Um, I would, I would rather get the best entrepreneur than the best price. That's what I've learned. What, uh, do you have anything you can share there that could help people kind of improve their intuition with that? Because I know that uh, intuition can also be tricky. We can think, oh, I just really like this person, right? And liking somebody and making the right judgment is oftentimes not <laughs> the best way right. to do it. You know, I, I was blessed because my wife would, I would often ask her, say, what do you think? And I remember one time I, went, I was thinking of bringing someone into one of my companies. I knew this person, been working with him. I trusted him, um, been working with him for about three years. And I said to my wife, I just happened to mention it while we're having dinner, actually. I was going to talk to, I won't use his name because he might be listening, but I'll talk to this guy tomorrow. And she said, no. I said, what do you mean no? And she said, he's bad news. I said, how can you, I, I got indignant. How can you say he's bad news? You've never met him. You don't know anything about him. I've worked with him and all this kind of stuff. And she's absolutely right. I mean, 18 months later, he, he, he left with all the money. And, wow. and left me high and dry. And so I was always, you know, inspired by her, but also fascinated by that. So yeah, how do you do so, that? So yeah, how do you just know? You know, how do you get to just know? And she would describe the feeling that she had when, when so she had this like feeling in her solar plexus. And so some of the tools and techniques in, in Three Simple Steps and Secrets to a Successful Startup um, teach you when you go for your nature walk, it's essential to get into nature as often as you can. When you get into nature, how to connect, how, 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 do you, how do you recognize that you are energy, that you're made of fermions and bosons, but so are the trees and so are the birds. So we're all made of the same stuff and then start to connect that way. And it, it works beautifully. And so you end up you end up in a situation where previously you didn't trust your own decision or didn't trust yourself to the point where you can feel it. You can literally feel it in the solar plexus and that's when you know. So with vendors, I always do that when I meet them. It doesn't matter what I think of them or, or what they think of me. If I get that feeling in my solar plexus, I know it's the right one. And it has never, never failed me that. Really? Yeah, that, and I think that is the, the difference, like tuning in to the feeling here versus just the feeling up here. It's like, Oh, I really like this person. They're really, they're just like me. (laughs) We have so much in common. I'm going to hire you. And, uh, but yeah, I think, I think when you take a moment to really, yeah. How does it make you feel right in here? The human, I don't know if it's the mind, but just our consciousness is so much more uh, advanced than we give it credit for and ability to find that stuff out. And it's, it's, it fascinates the hell out of me too. You also mentioned something that I really liked and I've done this. I don't do it as consistently as I need to, but you talk about not talking about future, like I want this, but it's like, I either have this or I did this. And for a while, one of the, I guess, journaling exercises I did, but it wasn't really journaling. It was like creating my to-do list, 
So a lot of us, we wake up in the morning or whatever, and you know, create a to-do list. I got to do these 10 things today. And what I started to do is instead of saying, I have to um, do X, do Y, do Z, I would write it almost like a journal, like I already did it. Today, I called so-and-so and sold, successfully sold this product, right? Like I was almost writing it down what I had to do as if I'd already done it, like at the end of the day. And what I noticed that that allowed me to feel is that I almost have an obligation to do it now because I've already, I said, I've already done it. So if I don't do that and I don't cross it off my list, it's almost like I'm violating a law of nature. And it was, it was really effective. You bringing this up reminds me to do that. I haven't done this in like in over a year. <laughs> I think I'm going to rewrite my to-do list today. Yeah. It's, and you, you've got it. I mean, you do doing it exactly as I would teach it. That's exactly what nice. I say. So with, with, when I was, you know, kind of training salespeople and, and, and marketing people in the previous life, I used to get them before you open the door, you imagine this has already gone brilliantly. And you say to yourself, this was, you don't say this is going to be, but this was a brilliant call or, or, or you know, this customer loved me. And I, I, when I'm, moved on from that to the sort of boardroom level and stuff like that before I would open the door before I would go in I would imagine that whatever meeting I'm going into was brilliant and everyone's patting me on the back I would do a little play in my head everyone's patting me on the back and telling me how brilliant I was and the great presentation and everything and then I'll go in and and it it, it always goes it well because of that it works and when you think of the opposite way when you think about what could go on in the future like I hope this goes well or whatever what you've done is you've opened up infinite possibilities for it to go any which direction. But when you think about it, the way you just described, you've collapsed it into only one possibility. And I think it's a little bit easier to just live into that possibility as opposed to going, all right, I'm here. Like what's going to happen next. Yeah. And you know, in physics, that's called the observer effect. So yeah. yeah. So it, you know, it's a, it's, tattoo, it's, right? all the stuff we're talking about, it can sound a little bit new agey sometimes, but it's actually science. You know, it's. I love how, yeah. Have you blended. I love how you've blended this higher level of conscious thinking and physics and metaphysics, et cetera, into entrepreneurship. You don't see that very often, right? It's very, uh, it's a very unique uh, approach to it. And it's obviously been very successful when, when you're working with, uh, so you, you do work with, you have, you have uh, courses, you have books, et cetera. Do you do, do you do any kind of individual or group coaching and consulting? Is that part of your business as well? Or I've stopped doing it because I take it, too seriously. I mean, I take yeah. it, take it really seriously. When someone asks, you know, help with this stuff, I end up putting too many hours into it, and like, I, I, they couldn't afford that. The hours I put in, they couldn't afford to buy. So I stopped doing that. But I did replace it. You're quite uh, right about the course. I got a course called Transformation, and basically it takes us through, you know, three quantum physics principles. But then we don't ever have to use the word quantum physics again. So three principles that we understand energy, and, we, and then we start to play with it in slightly different ways. And so it takes you through the whole journey. It takes about 30 days to do. So you go through this journey of, of coming in thinking, no, you know who you are and, and coming out the other side, a completely different person with, with the, the world at your feet, basically. Um, thousands have gone through it. And it's, it's, it's one of my most fun things to be involved in. So, so, but I'm active in the course as well. So I'm, nice. I'm and there is a helping hand should anybody have the need of it. And sure. it's very inspiring because it, because it, it, you know, with transformation, it does not that it just works for some people and not others. It just works. It works for yeah. everyone. And so everyone gets this life-changing experience. Oh, that's fantastic. Now you are, you also mentioned you have like four different businesses right now that you, so like, how do you split your time in between four businesses? I know running one business can be really challenging. Have you kind of elevated yourself out of the day-to-day stuff on a lot of them or 
How does yeah, that? Yeah, I don't really do a lot of day-to-day stuff, Brad, because the, because the hub model does it for you. It does all the minutiae for you, and they've got their own systems and their own human resources and all this. I don't have to deal with it. Primarily, I just give direction and and um, encouragement. That's that's I'd say that's ninety percent of all that I do. They're all very different companies. So I have the um, the cancer company that. Um, in early stage negotiations for, for exiting that. Um, I have an animal sanctuary, which is very different, of course, and that's that's much more hands-on. And I, I you know, they would, they're happier when I'm not there, the staff, the volunteers, but I I, can't, I just love animals. So I'm there. Yeah. I'll be there too much with those. With those people. <laughs> uh, and I'm, I've got a movie coming out. So Three Simple Steps is, is uh, has been made, is being made into a movie. So really? Movie, so. documentary, or what's the... No, no. A, 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 so it's called Audrey. It's based oh. on my mother's life, which my mother's life is is one of the themes that runs through three simple steps. Okay. Because um, she's she was such an inspiration to me. Everything I've ever done in life is is down to what she and my wife taught me. That's amazing. Um, yeah. So so I've been very lucky to have very powerful women in my life. Now, um, in, in some of these businesses, especially like the the medical one you've got right now, um, do you consider yourself like the CEO, the chairman, or is there a is there a role you've kind of adopted in that space? Or, uh, well, I do. I, I am I am I'm founder and CEO, if you like. But the CEO, I don't say chief executive. I see chief, chief energy officer. Oh, I love that. So so uh, so that's my role is to keep the energy high, keep everyone buzzing, you know, and, and uh, in all the companies. Do you have anybody? I guess. Um, in more of the day-to-day managerial space to where you're like, they're reporting kind of to you with, um, Hey, this is what's going on. These are all like all of the various spokes of the hub, or is that still you who's kind of paying attention to everything that's happening around the wheel? Yeah, that's me. And I, I see myself just as the conductor. I can't play any of these instruments that's in the orchestra, but I can hear harmony. And so, so that's, that's kind of my role. And, uh, I, I love that role. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's a, that's the role that uh, I think is the ideal place to get to for an entrepreneur to where yeah, you are removing yourself from that. I know in some of the smaller businesses I've had or been a part of, I've almost had too much capability to do things. And so I'll do it. I've always been jealous of some of my colleagues or friends who are successful entrepreneurs, you know, much like yourself to where there's almost like a, it's almost like an ignorance that like, I can't do this. So I'm not even going to try. I need somebody else to do it. Like when I know I can do something, I get tempted to roll up my sleeves and get in there and screw things up. <laughs> so Most of the time I know I can't do it. So it's right. like, yeah. I, I've always said, I need to, I need to just start a business that I have no, absolutely zero knowledge of all the various <laughs> functions to where I'm just, I don't know what I can't do. And I just need to rely on the other people and just bring the vision on that. But um, this is super fascinating. Are there any, um, are there any nuts you're trying to crack right now? And by that, I kind of mean, what uh, could be people you're trying to meet, a skill you're trying to learn, a problem you're trying to solve, money you're trying to raise. Uh, I mean, it could be anything personal or business, but this is an opportunity for you to jog my imagination and that of my audience to go, ah, oh, this, this is great. He said that this is a, something he could use some little help with that we might be able to provide well it, you know uh, trevorgblake.com which is my digital marketing i i didn't really envisage that as a as a business I, yeah. I was i'd given the course away for free i was given books away for free because i don't you know all my proceeds go to cancer research and development so so i and i i happened to bump into literally online somebody who said you're sitting on a gold mine you've got all this information to share but you're not you're, you're not you're not thinking you're thinking of it as a hobby not as a business and it was it was like a bit of a wake-up call for me mm-hmm. so so I, I put trevor g uh 
Blake.com together as, you know, so just over 18 months ago, LLC did and then started to take it seriously as a company. And the trajectory for that has been fantastic. It's been yeah. quite an eye opener for me that how, just how big this thing is, can be. And so, so now I'm, now, you know, one of the reasons I'm exiting the, my uh, drug company is I want, I want to have more focus, more energy uh, on TrevorGBlake.com because there's such a need for it now. It's, uh, you know, people, it, it, we are living in a world where science, spirit, and entrepreneurship have all come together, finally. Yeah, not absolutely. separate silos anymore. And people, we're all more willing to talk about it, come out of the closet and talk about energy. You know, talk, you know, I, I think the time is right for that. And so um, my, I can't tell you what my intention is because they have to be private. But as yeah. part of the intention, it is to, to take TrevorGBlake.com to a level that's never been seen before. Oh, and that, requires, that requires me doing things I've never done before because uh, I haven't got a clue what I'm doing and and also getting involved in things that I've never done before so so like new it's exciting like, like I've just started sh uh, shamanic dancing nice. never, I, wouldn't, I would never have imagined doing that I mean nobody wants to see this body dancing but I've <laughs> really I've got so much out of that that I think you know learning all of these new ideas and bringing them together and showing how they impact what we think of this as, as the material physical side of life like my businesses or whatever but bringing it all together is very exciting for me so that's that's kind of where I'm headed in the next I, few years. I, I love that. Are, are there any things in particular you're looking for, whether it's resources, people, um, anything like that of that nature? Ob obviously, this is like an opportunity for more exposure to that, but is there anything else you can think of that would help you further that vision along? Yes. So there are there are two people I, I've, I have been told there are two people I have yet to meet who are going to be integral part of it. I don't know part of what I don't know and who they are. I have no idea, but something 2023, 2024, and this is this is all part of the bringing bringing all of these disciplines together. Is that when we get in touch with our intuition and we we learn to extend our senses a little bit, we start to get messages coming to us from all different directions that were always trying to come to us, but we weren't we weren't recipients. We weren't yep. tuned in. Totally. Now now that we're more tuned in, um, you know, I, those messages are getting through, and so it helps me to have my eyes wider open to look for who are these who, who are these two critical people coming into my life right. at this period of time, and and to talk to me about a specific thing which i won't mention but a specific thing to do with energy and taking that information being an ambassador for that um so i can't say specifically who they are or where they are but uh, i'm looking forward to meeting whoever they are <laughs> right oh, that, oh that's good it's, it's, it's just ambiguous enough to where it could fit into any uh thing and you i guess you'll know it when you see it that's fan uh that's fantastic you know trevor i've really enjoyed uh talking to you and hearing your story and your approach to this, it's, it's a really refreshing as opposed to, um, you know, some of the traditional entrepreneurs who are just like, go, go, go success, money driven. Let's build this business where it's very almost like robotic or mechanic. I love the, the organic approach you've taken to this, uh, throughout your career and, you know, how it ties into what seems on the surface, like a really well-balanced life between like life and business and how one serves the other or they serve each other like like a marriage right um are there any parting thoughts you'd like to uh leave my audience with that this lifestyle is it's not a new it's, people look at the lifestyle and the, i call it success with balance they look at this success with balance and they think that must be a very rare thing and that and that he must have a secret or some of some kind it's not it's available to absolutely everybody right now and so, so my, my response to everyone is, is, is don't wait. Uh, as my wife used to say to me, you know, don't, don't wait, create. That's what she used to say to me all the time. Cause we have the tendencies to wait for something to happen. Right. And the uh, wait for a sign, she would say, don't wait, create. So you make it happen. So, so, um, 
just start if you're if you're if you're listening to this and you're thinking of starting don't think anymore just start something because you don't know what business you're in until you get started that's that's a key message to everybody i love that yeah there's absolute magic and just momentum and i've been i've been guilty of that as well where i uh i'll get analysis paralysis and it's not until i just stop that and just go do something and i figure it out so um I'll tell you one thing, you've, you've inspired me to do more uh, 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Uh, time away because that's that's definitely where I found uh, also the, the best ideas and the brilliance is when I, I allow myself to wander and um, yeah. figure it out. But uh, so where people can get more information on you, at, is it trevorgblake.com? Is that the best? Yeah, everything's there. Everything that uh, you can get the books, the courses, and there's loads of free stuff. I, 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 I love writing. So there's lots of free articles, podcasts, that sort of thing. So uh, it's a rabbit hole that you'll enjoy going down, no strings attached. So it's trevorgblake.com. Love it. Well, so for everybody listening or watching, go check out trevorgblake.com if you really resonated with what Trevor had to say. I know I did. And I, I look forward to uh, finishing the, you know, the, the book, the three simple steps, as well as diving into the, uh, what is it? Secrets of, of a successful startup. Yeah. Secrets to a successful startup. Yep. That's fantastic. And seeing what else you've got. And I hope to, hope to be able to keep in contact with you. I mean, we're both here in Southern California, so maybe we'll run into each other uh, at some point before too long. Uh, for all my listeners, I hope you've really enjoyed this as much as I have. If you have any questions, feedback, ideas, or any nuts you're trying to crack, feel free to send me an email to askbrad at baconwrappedbusiness.com. And I look forward to uh, hearing you guys and seeing you on another episode of the show. Until next time, talk to you soon.